Welcome to Safer Journeys, a podcast dedicated to raising children, ending violence, and ending oppression. We're your hosts. I'm Melissa. And I'm Heather, and we're here at Safe Journeys, a domestic and sexual violence organization in Livingston and LaSalle County in Illinois. And we have a special guest today that we are crazy excited to have on. Um, Her name is Stephanie. She is not only a friend of ours, but she is also a fierce and amazing social worker. Um, Stephanie, want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little about yourself. Hi, I am so excited to be doing this with you two today. Um, So like they said, my name is Stephanie and I also work in the social work realm. I am a caseworker for juvenile delinquents. So when everyone hears that, they're usually like, oh my gosh, juvenile delinquents. (laughs) But what I found is that they are actually some of the coolest people that I've ever had the opportunity to work with. And what I've learned in meeting them and working with them is that they're all really just good inside and they all just need to be loved and to be supported. And that's what I get to do with my job. So I love my job. I love what I do. And I love being here with you guys. Well, that is exactly why we invited you today, because I'm guessing a lot of the young folks you work with have experienced some traumas in their in their history or are currently experiencing trauma. Is that accurate to say? Yes, that is one of the things that I notice the most when I get a new client, when I'm working with my kiddos, is that trauma is just a big part of their lives. It's a big part of their story, and it's a big part of what lands them in my program to begin with. Mm, Yeah. Well, now you all know trauma is our topic for the day, and we're actually going to be doing a few episodes here um, on trauma and trauma-related things. So, Today, we'll start with just the basics. And the first thing I want to mention is what the CDC tells us about how many young people are experiencing trauma. So the CDC says about two thirds of young people have experienced at least one traumatic event before or by the age of 16. So essentially, there's more kids out there with trauma than there are kids without trauma. And this is your trigger warning, folks. We're going to be talking about trauma and all things trauma. If it's too much for you today, don't worry about it. Come back another day or skip this one altogether. That's right. So what do we mean when we are talking about trauma here? So we're talking about a distressing event or circumstance that can involve physical and or emotional harm. It is often beyond the person's ability to control the event or circumstance. It's not like they just decide, um, I'm going to go through some trauma Mm -hmm. today. Um, And it is generally disruptive of their sense of safety. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Stephanie? Yeah. So I think the thing that a lot of people, when they hear trauma, what they don't necessarily think about is that trauma varies from person to person. Like Melissa and I could be in the same room and experience the same event. And for Melissa, it might not be a traumatic experience, but for me, it could be life-changing and it could rock my world and be traumatic. And it's all about what skills, what coping levels, how are you perceiving the situation? And so trauma is not a cookie cutter thing. It can vary from person to person and one person's trauma might not be someone else's. 
Yeah, super well said. I actually want to give you guys a little anecdote here. Um, when I was working at the Child Emotion Lab, I know that, that's a really good one. You'll actually see some of the research I worked on in the book we talk about later in this episode. Um, but Dr. Seth Pollack, who runs the lab, gave us this example. He had worked with two kids who lived in the same neighborhood, and they both had to move from their home. One kid moved to a whole new school district, different side of town. The other kid moved a block. The kid who moved a block actually had more trouble adjusting than the young person who had to, you know, change schools and move across town. And he was just trying to illustrate how it can impact everyone a little bit differently. Similar experience. One kiddo just, you know, everything's wrecked and the other one completely fine. That is really interesting. And um, honestly, it kind of strikes home for me. Um, I'm never shy about talking about my own trauma history because I think it's what draws me to this work and it's what makes me good at my job and gives me that perspective. But for me and my siblings, my brother and I grew up in the same home with the same trauma experiences and handled them in two completely different ways and became two completely different people. And so I think that just goes to show that you can experience even the exact same traumas and you can come out a different way and it can impact you differently. And I think a lot of that has to do with your protective factors, which I'm sure at some point mm -hmm. we're going to address oh, you know what it, protective yes. factors are. So I think those are really important. And I think that's an important piece of the conversation. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's perfect. You spot on. In fact, you covered what I was going to cover next in my notes. You're just, that's how good you are, right? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Melissa was gonna, is going to give us um, some other examples of what trauma could look like. It's important to remember that it's a very individual experience and yes. one little thing could be a big thing to another. So hit us with some hard, tough experiences here. Yes. And, and these are tough experiences. We have death or incarceration of a caregiver. Mm. We have natural disasters, abuse and or neglect, witnessing or experiencing violence in the home or community. And this includes domestic and sexual violence, but it also includes that community violence like gun violence, mm. And car crashes. Yeah. And again, yes. just a couple. Any you want to add to our, our list? I realize there's a lot more out there than what we're given for examples here. Yeah, I think that, like you said, it can be something bigger. It can be something small. So something as simple as switching schools and leaving your friends behind mm -hmm. can be a traumatic experience for a child. Um, so it doesn't necessarily always have to be those big, scary things that we naturally think about when we think trauma. Yeah, very good point. That's something that we wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, that would be a traumatic event right. could cause trauma. Great point. And I think we'll be getting into this, too, when we pointed to protective factors, yep. but it also depends on the coping skills, mm -hmm. which will be in protective factors yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that the child already has or mm -hmm. maybe develops early on sure. after that traumatic event. Yeah, maybe they've been in therapy Absolutely. for two years already, right? So they've yeah. been going through, they already have um, a handle on some sort of stress, stress relieving self-care and coping mechanisms. Right. So all that being said, we know for sure 
that trauma experiences can, they don't always, but can have lasting impacts on a person's well-being throughout their entire lives, not just, you know, the year that it happened, right? It could cause some issues for them 20 years down the road. So I want to talk a little bit about children's brain development. It is wild in there. They are doing, their brain is forming all of these connections constantly, so many connections that at a certain age, the brain has to go through and be like, these aren't useful. Let's get rid of them. We don't have storage space anymore. Right. So, and you can imagine, right, if we threw a wrench in that whole process, that could change the way a young person develops or make it a little bit more difficult for them. And it impacts the way they think, the way they act, the way they handle things that are coming their way. So just as Heather was saying, if we think of brain development, let's say like building a house, we know that certain structures and foundations must be built first. And if those structures or foundations are built differently than the original plan, there might be some issues with the house when it's completed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for better or worse, that we'll just look at it like that, like, these issues are are neutral, um, but they may impact the house and sure. the structure and the foundation. Yeah, so, if you can't get sewage pump pipes in, right? right like that's right. going to be a problem. It's going to back it yes. up. Well, for instance, if that foundation is laid incorrectly at the initial stage of building, the house might slope or the basement might retain water when mm-hmm. it rains. And the same is true for the developing brain. So exposure to a traumatic event can alter the foundation is what we're trying to say. That alteration could cause minimal issues or big issues, just depending on how someone it takes that in. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I always like to think about it or like have this conversation with myself, honestly, when I'm struggling with these things is um, for some kids who experience trauma and if that trauma is chronic or if they can't cope with it, then while their same aged peers are learning math or learning social skills, they're just trying to be safe. They're just trying to survive. And so they do miss out on some of those developmental milestones, some of those key things that they should be able to experience during that time. Yeah, no, that that's that's very important to mention that they, they can't necessarily be on the same track then um, with their peers and how they're developing, which will can set them, you know, back for the future. Not always. Again, I don't want anyone to think like you experienced trauma, you're doomed forever. That's right. not the case. So these are all things that can happen that we've seen happen. Um, but we've also seen success stories, too. So it's not it's not every single person. Um, and I want to I want to kind of switch into talking about some of these long term effects that we might see in young people as they're developing and into their adulthood as well. And again, I know I said this like a thousand times already. It varies greatly from person to person and child to child. So one of the first things I'm thinking is emotional dysregulation, which is kind of a jargony academic term. So essentially what that means is the child can't regulate their emotions the way that, you know, your average young person might. So perhaps they get easily overwhelmed. It could be they're in a room with, you know, loud noises, bright lights, a lot of activity. They're feeling way too overstimulated. Um, They might feel numb, the opposite of that, right? They don't feel anything. 
you're going to, you know, you can see tantrums, you can see outbursts and that kind of stuff. Most of you have some dad, I can see it in your face. No. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Stephanie, do you want to say anything about it? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. No, that's fine. Um, I also want to talk about some of the physical and health specific issues mm-hmm. that can occur. Um, I know myself, I deal with um, an autoimmune disease, you know, chronic pain stuff. And guess what? I had some childhood trauma. (laughs) And there is a decent amount of research that shows that autoimmune diseases, things of that nature, can in fact develop out of the stress response that happens with trauma. We can also see things like developing heart disease um, or, you know, developing diabetes. And these are just a few things, but that's definitely um, on the menu, unfortunately. Um, we can also talk about, like, instead of body health, mental health, right? So PTSD, what does it stand for? Post-traumatic stress disorder. So, I mean, it essentially already tells you what the issue is. And <laughs> Stephanie, do you want to just touch real quick on chronic or complex um, PTSD? Because you, you mentioned it briefly. Yes. So in chronic um, traumatic situations, what kind of happens is the child doesn't just experience or the person doesn't just experience that thing one time and then get to heal from it or get to process it with someone or like otherwise get to move on. They repeatedly experience that kind of stressful situation over and over again. I think that a really easy common example of this would be in a child abuse situation where they're constantly being put in that situation and they aren't able to get out. And so they're not able to take the time to heal from that. Yeah. Gosh, that's, that's just so hard. And, you know, with both PTSD, complex um, PTSD, anxiety and depression are, are often manifested in could be in some extreme ways, but you, we usually see them at least minimally in these these types of uh, mental health issues. I wanted to take a moment mm-hmm. to connect the body health and the mental health Please. because you started to mention Absolutely. your own autoimmune, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> I know for me, you know, when I got out of a situation. I was able to finally come down to a place where my body started to process my um, experiences. Mm-hmm. And and then all of a sudden, like, even if I got eight hours of sleep, it was like I got zero. Sure. Um, because my cortisol levels were so high. And cortisol is a stress hormone. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to make sure people are aware that body and mental health are very much connected as well. I have heard over and over and over again, particularly at the college campus, after finals, the students end up getting sick, right? Yes. They got themselves Mm -hmm. all worked up, stressed out, and like, not just they got themselves, I shouldn't say that, like, reasonably so. They're worried about their future and their their academic performance. But And then as soon as that stress is gone and their body kind of starts, you know, coming down, they end up with the flu or cold or something like that. I know I've personally experienced that as well after stressful situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Our bodies are so cool in that they can sustain us through so much, but at some point they have to come come down from it. And so it's interesting and helpful for us that our bodies can get us through finals and fight off all those sicknesses and then take that space to heal when when it's all over. 
Yes. Yeah. You know, my therapist likes to, to say, you know, if you don't take the time to take care of yourself, your body's going to make body you do it. Yeah. So, yes. And uh, thank you. Shout out to Angie, my therapist. <laughs> thank you, Angie. Yeah. I mean, I may need like some affirmational texts or something in the future, but yeah, it, it's, and it's a common thing that so many of us face, even if we haven't had traumatic, you know, experiences, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to add to this list, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> of, of effects <laughs> that might occur for children who experience trauma, um, an increased risk of developing risky behaviors. And some of these risky behaviors could include self-destructive behaviors, risky sexual behaviors, self-harm, substance use. And Stephanie, do you have anything to add, especially with the work that you do day to day? Honestly, like as I'm listening to you read off this list of things that can come from trauma, I am just like thinking about all of my kiddos that I work with day in and day out and how so many of these are things that they struggle with. And a lot of times that because people don't understand what they've been through and where they're coming from, it's kind of attributed to them just being bad kids. And they're not bad kids. They're stressed kids, traumatized kids, and kids who need support and coping skills to offset some of those traumatic effects. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. I wanted to add one more thing, and that is the difficulty building and maintaining healthy relationships, which could also add into what Stephanie was saying just now. Yes, absolutely. I do so much work with my clients on building safe, healthy relationships because they they do. They struggle maintaining those healthy relationships because sometimes trauma impacts the way we see ourselves and the way we think about what we deserve. And so I see a lot of my clients think that they're not worthy of healthy relationships because of the trauma they've experienced. Yeah, which is heartbreaking to watch a child think so little of themselves and what they deserve in the world absolutely I think we should also mention it can trauma can affect how they see other people so um again in my child emotion lab time I worked on a few studies and a few of them were looking at how kids who've experienced you know stressful events see faces and a lot of the young people who have had this kind of trauma when they look at what might be a neutral face they see anger or some sort of malicious intent they assume that the person is upset with them and in truth that's not actually the case they're just more inclined to think that people have negative feelings um, or interactions with them Mm. yeah so we we kind of ran over the protective factors real quick because we knew we were going to come back to them later so In talking about trauma, we can't forget to talk about the opportunity to like, I'm going to say build back better. I know that's like post pandemic, but it was immediately (laughs) what came to my mind. But we do have that option, right? So we're going to talk briefly about protective factors and building resiliency and only briefly today because in episode four, we're going to talk 
all about it. We're going to dedicate an entire episode to it. It's going to be much more positive than this one. I'm so excited. I think of protective factors as like the hope because we all know that trauma is out there and we all know that there are kids, there are adults, people are experiencing trauma and it can feel so overwhelming. But I love talking about protective factors because that's where the hope and the light in the situation comes in. So I'm so excited to have a conversation about that. Yes. So just briefly, essentially, these protective factors or these strategies to build resilience help to manage trauma that has occurred in the past, but also to manage trauma that may occur in the future. So developing these is always going to be beneficial. And sharing them with your friends and family is also helpful because a lot of us just haven't really been aware of the opportunities um, to move past or beyond this kind of trauma. That's right. So there is support for those that have experienced trauma, and there are many interventions out there and available to help individuals that have experienced it. Um, There's a variety of therapy modalities. We've already mentioned counseling and therapy in this episode. Um, There's art modalities, music therapy, animal therapy, occupational and medical therapy, and also support groups out there for various um, types of trauma. Yeah, Stephanie, you accidentally got a uh, anxiety therapy dog, didn't you? I did. Yes, <laughs> I did accidentally. And he is the most anxious anxiety therapy dog ever, but he does help. I, I, I'm i a huge animal lover. I'm sure you'll hear about it in future episodes. I apologize in advance for talking way too much about animals. But um, for maybe two or three years, I didn't have a pet in my house. Um, and then, you know, I, I got to ha- get my kitty that I have now and a huge difference. Just her presence in my home makes me feel like a relief from stress. We know animal contact can reduce blood pressure, drop cortisol levels, get you moving your body. If it's a dog, you're going to go walk, which is helpful. So I will try to keep it to that <laughs> talking about animal <laughs> therapy. Um, but I, I do, I think it's incredibly beneficial. Are there any other modalities that you do or work with with your young folks or that you are excited to talk about, Stephanie? Um, one of my favorite um, modalities for trauma is mindfulness. Mm. Um, I work with that a lot with my clients is just how to be in the present moment, how to really be in your body because trauma can disconnect you from your body and bringing yourself back there and knowing that it's a safe place to be. So mindfulness is always one of my very favorites. And yeah, I think that and having support people and safe adults are major, major protective factors. Yes. And I wanted to mention with support groups too, uh, just the fact that we can experience joy uh, in the face of trauma and pain, um, I think is a huge protective factor. Oh, yeah. And so like for me, that's reading romance, listening (laughs) to romance podcasts. Um, Which you'll also probably hear about it in a future episode. (laughs) Romance novels. (laughs) But that's such a a source of joy. And really through the pandemic, ever since then, I really can't handle too much 
like drama when it mm, comes yeah. to not really knowing how something's going to end when it comes to a movie or a book or anything since so much is unknown in the world um i i honestly just take a lot of um comfort knowing that there's going to be a happily ever after i don't really, <laughs> i might not really know how we're going to get there but so that that has been a real source of joy and um helpful in my own resilience i can tell when i'm focusing too much on like let's say gray's anatomy or <laughs> or anything i'm like hyper vigilant or yeah. something or suspicious like um so I, I'm a lot more hopeful when I'm really paying attention to the media I'm mm-hmm. consuming. I yeah, like gosh. That. I I mean that brings me to social media, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which can be a source of support for some people, but could negatively contribute. I'm I'm thinking if someone had been sexually assaulted and then they are up on their Facebook or TikTok or whatever, and they're getting all these negative comments about like, oh, you should have done this, or why were you at so-and-so's house? You know, I, I, I think we need to just be very mindful, like you were saying, Melissa, about how we consume our, our, our media as a whole, because it could contribute negatively to um, our mental wellness. It does. Yeah. Yes. Um, let's, I'm just going to, and for some folks out there who may or may not know, much about counseling or therapy. There are a lot of different types of therapy out there. We're not going to get into every single one. Um, But the basic is that you're going to have a professional who helps you to like process some things, um, develop coping mechanisms and skills. And they're going to do this in this unbiased, safe space, um, which we can't always get from friends, family, or loved ones. And I, I couldn't imagine everybody's going to have a bias, right? That's in your life. So having a therapist who is not a part of your world other than therapy, I think is really helpful. Um, And I couldn't say enough good things about, honestly, I wish everyone was in therapy. I wish this was like a thing that was (laughs) mandated that you had to see a a therapist or a counselor once a week because they do so much. Um, And all you're doing is showing up and chatting with them and like all of a sudden things are going a lot better for you. I also want to talk about taking care of our bodies because Melissa brought up the point too, how our brain and our body are connected. Absolutely. I mean, of course, but like we see the impact of one on the other, right? So just taking good care of your body, making sure you're getting enough sleep, you're moving your body a bit. That's why like our Fitbits are constantly, you know, vibrating on our wrists saying, get up and take more steps, right? It's good for us. Um, And we need that, you know, about eight hours of sleep to process some of the things that have happened in our day. And of course, nutrition um, is going to be essential. So like if you're not eating all day, you're running low on steam, how are you going to manage your stress? Mm -hmm. If you can, you know, you can't even get up off the couch because you're so exhausted. And I know that exercise for me is a really important coping mechanism. Um, And it's a way I work I work that stress out of my body even. It's just like a wonderful release and I can't, like I do cardio dance and I like literally can't jump up and down without starting to smile. So it's really, even getting to work today, I didn't have a chance to do dance this morning, but I I turned some um, confidence boosting music on and I was, I just started dancing in my office so that I could just get out of my little funk because it's like I couldn't even get going. And so even just those little moments to to kind of pull you out. It, I mean, yeah, yeah it, they're mood boosting. It's it's it is a resilience factor. I think knowing what works for you. Oh yeah, 
And it, there's so yes. many options. Right, right. Right. So what works for Melissa and Heather might not work for me or you, but they're yes. figuring yourself out, learning yourself and what does work for you and how to best keep your body and your brain healthy is so important. Can I talk about your yoga journey, stuff? You can. So when I first met Stephanie, I tried to lead a yoga class for some young people we were working on. And she was like, mm -mm, I'm not a part of this. Right. Now, how often do you yep, do didn't yoga? Didn't want anything to do with it. Um, I do yoga every single morning. All right. She stepped outside yes. of her comfort zone to try something new. And maybe I'm taking big steps, but did it blow your mind? Because I feel like it kind of blew your mind a little in a good way. Yeah, it actually um, changed my whole world <laughs> um, when I really started a yoga practice because my mind and my body needed the best way for me to process through some of those things in my life that had happened and just stress in general from being a human on yeah. this planet. And so yoga was that thing for me. And so it's changed so much of my life by figuring out who I am and what I need to be healthy in my brain and in my body. I would like to ask Stephanie and Melissa, because you two have young people at home. Mine <laughs> is almost a grown human. So we don't have, you know, coloring books and calming corners in our house. <laughs> but can you tell some listeners some different choices or options they might have for helping support this sort of emotional regulation in young people that are in your homes? Yes, this is one of my favorite topics, too. Um, so I think one of the biggest things you can do as a trusted adult in a child's life is really start validating their emotions for them and helping them connect with them and walk through them. I think when kids can see it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to hurt someone else and really feel like I see why you're angry and I get it, man, I'd be angry too. And they are given that permission to really experience that emotion and then to let it go. Because that's so much of the process is letting it go and not letting it get stuck in your brain and in your body. And so giving them that space to do that is a huge piece. Yes. And I would also add um, in that validating and if they are starting to like put it onto you and act it out, act out their stress or their feelings onto you and in a way that might hurt somebody's body, whether that's your own body or another person's just making sure everyone is safe um, and, and removing somebody if, if that's the case. Um, maybe even taking, making sure you take like 10 seconds to breathe because oh, yeah. um, yes. there's, there's, you don't have to react like right away. <laughs> It's, it's best just to breathe. I know I have some um, earplugs that I like to put in. I actually can't find them right now. Yeah. I need to find them because <laughs> I used to be able to have them in my pocket and I could pull those out. And I think a lot more logically when I'm not overstimulated mm, yeah. myself. And so, because then I'm not like reacting to the level of noise. And Stephanie and I actually discovered this last <laughs> summer when I was telling her about uh, my situation. And I, I was just like, oh my gosh, these tantrums, they're just so loud. And and then this is how I react. And, and then she asked such a key question. She's like, well, do you think like you can't handle this or do you think it's the noise level? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, oh, my gosh, well, we can deal with the noise level. Right. And so yes. and then I discovered like, wow, 
I respond so much more logically and there are logical consequences. There are more, um, I can be present with my child a lot more and she sees that I'm not just gonna leave or blame everything on her or anything like that. And I'm, I'm not using um, my son who's almost three in this situation yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly talking about my daughter who's six now. And, and, but I just wanted to say like, it's okay to be human in your parenting. Oh God. Yeah. It's also okay yes. to apologize yep. if you did lose your cool. Um, because I think modeling for them, um, not only your own coping, which, um, the breathing, the making sure you're taking care of yourself so you can be the best parent you know how to be in that moment with them. And um, and then being there for them in the way that Stephanie was talking about, right? Validating and helping them move through those emotions in a way that's not like, okay, stop crying now, but like complete right. this cycle of stress and then we can all move on. But um, yes. I did want to mention we have like a little calming tent up in my house and, and, you know, it's just kind of at the beginnings where um, my daughter is like, if something's going wrong, maybe she'll go there. If we're not able to find her, I, I ultimately yeah. end up looking in the tent and there she is. And so I'm like, oh, well, good. I, I'm glad she <laughs> connected that to being calm and finding some calm and going to breathe because it's like a safe quiet comfortable space for her right yeah 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 Yeah, it's cozy providing them with safe spaces is so important safe spaces that aren't necessarily in your presence too because that helps them to learn how to regulate their emotions when you can't regulate them for them or when you can't talk them through that and so we do a lot of that too we've got calming swings we've got a calming chair we've got social emotional books just different things to give them other resources outside of me as a parent to kind of regulate those emotions so that they have those resiliency and protective factors when they're out in the world and something might happen that stresses them out they've got the they've got a good arsenal of tools to deal with it. And then I also wanted to go back to kind of what Melissa was saying about um, how she regulates her own emotions. And I always tell my parents that I work with because I work with the youth and I work with their parents. And I always tell them it's not fair. It's going to feel rude, but so much of parenting is controlling yourself and not your kids. You have to control yourself. And even if they're the one who's doing the thing that's so irritating, It's on you. You're the one who has to react to it appropriately and calm yourself down and put yourself in a place to help them better. And so sometimes it's like, well, I just wish they would do the thing. And it's like, no, you get to do the thing because you're the grown up. So that is so important. Like Melissa was saying, knowing how to regulate yourself so you can help them regulate themselves. And that really means we need to be doing our own work. Yeah. And we need to be taking the right amount of time off from our work Mm. lives so that we have space emotionally and mentally to be the parents we want to be. Yeah. Got to take care of your parents because then the parents can't take care of the kiddos if they can't take, if they're not being taken care of themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times you'll hear that trauma is generational and that this is a key part of stopping that generational cycle of trauma is when you can stop and heal yourself and heal your 
past traumas and then learn how to regulate yourself, you're actually stopping that trauma cycle because you're teaching the next generation how to cope and how they should be treated and how they should treat others. And I just want to say too, and because I know we've said several times throughout this podcast episode that, you know, if if you do have, if you score high on the ACEs, right, if you have ad- adverse childhood experiences and you have um, some traumatic experiences, but there are, there is hope. There's, there are protective factors and things. And I want to say like, as a parent, it's okay to mess up. And I know I've said the thing about apologizing, but even if you did it one way before and you decide to make a change in the way you handle things or you're developing skills, um, that's, that's okay. Th- those skills are going to help. And you can even process with your child uh, that change as well. It's like, yes, like, I, I used to yell a lot because that's how I handled stress, but mommy's really working on not doing that anymore. So, you know, it's okay to process that together and show that like people can grow and change in a positive way. That is great. And I'm not sure you all even realized, but you're kind of led us into our episode closing here. <laughs> yeah. So as a whole, we, we can see trauma can impact us, right? It impacts us as kids. It impacts us as adults. And like our parents' trauma can impact us, right? Because if, you know, your mom or your dad aren't able to handle a certain situation, then they can't support you through that same thing. So the big takeaway here is trauma's complex. It's different for everyone. And it can and often does impact someone's whole life. But that isn't the end of the story. So we're going to talk a little bit, or not a little bit, a lot about ACEs, which Melissa mentioned on our next episode. And ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And Stephanie's going to join us again for that one because she is just an absolute wealth of knowledge. And Melissa, tell us about the media that we love this week. Yes, we plan to be sharing some media that we currently love at the end of each episode. And this week, we love Generation Mindful. And this is a site that I discovered, and we're going to be including the link in the show notes. But there's there are blogs on there, articles and resources for supporting children, regulating emotions, and supporting you as a caregiver. It also gives some really great doable uh, resources, activities, some Uh, Most of them are free, um, but like creating a calming corner. And um, there are things for purchase on there, um, like some some printouts and and things to create that calming corner. But you you can also um, develop your own calming corner based on what works for your child and and you. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, anything you want to make sure that you cover before we we sign off for this episode? No, I don't think so. I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to have had this conversation with you ladies. It was so fun to talk to you about this and to hear the different information that you had to provide. Well, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, and we're excited to have you back on the next episode. For our listeners, stay tuned. We're going to tell you how to contact us in a second here and some hotline numbers in case you need support. As always, thank you and have a lovely day. 
Keep an eye out for new podcasts that drop every other Monday. And you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or anywhere else you might be listening to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, so you can give us a shout at our email, saferjourneyspod at safejourneysillinois.com. You can also message us on Facebook or Instagram at our Safer Journeys podcast pages. If you need to reach out for domestic or sexual violence, our Safe Journeys hotline supports people in Livingston, LaSalle County, located in North Central Illinois. And our support line number is 815-673-1555. For those of you out of our listening area, if you've experienced sexual violence and need to reach out to a support line, you can call RAIN with two N's at 1-800-656-HOPE. You can also reach out on their website and chat live. You may call the domestic violence hotline if you've experienced or are experiencing domestic violence. It is simply called The Hotline. You can find them at thehotline.org where you can live chat on their website or you can give them a call at 1-800-799-SAFE.